service. Disgraceland is brought to you by Disgraceland All Access. Disgraceland All Access membership is your chance to support the show and get ad-free listening, an exclusive scripted episode every month, and exclusive bonus content every week, plus access to an always-on chat with me and your fellow discos. Visit disgracelandpod.com slash membership or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. Good morning and happy Monday, Discos. Welcome to our weekly advanced mini episode, the first communique of the week between you and yours truly. Love talking to you guys here. This is the place for us to set the table for everything we're going to be discussing and listening to this week, specifically this week's full episode of Disgraceland on Sonny Rollins coming tomorrow, as always, on Tuesday, as well as any and all music news relevant to Disgraceland and its many subjects. And of course, this is where we start the conversation that we continue over voicemail, text, social media, and in our Thursday bonus episodes. All right, this is Sonny Rollins week here in Disgraceland. And uh, in this week's mini episode that you're currently listening to, just like the one we did last week, we are here for the second week in a row doing things a little differently today. Uh, I normally think about what's going into these episodes and record them, like I said before, a day or so before they drop. But once again, due to some travel, um, I've had to record a full week in advance again for the second week in a row. That's all fine. I don't mind. I kind of like it, as a matter of fact. But as I said before, it makes discussing the topical aspects uh, that we touch upon in these mini episodes kind of impossible, specifically the Billboard chart stuff. So again, taking a little break on the Billboard chart talk uh, for this week. We'll get back to it next week, I, I think. I think it'll be <laughs> smooth sailing after that. It's the summer. Everyone's going places. What can I say? All right? We're still bringing you the content. That's what really counts. All right? Uh, what I want to do instead is use this week's Disgraceland subject, jazz musician Sonny Rollins, as a jumping off point into my favorite two subjects, music and true crime. All right? That's what we're here for anyways, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay, so now some of you might be seeing the name Sonny Rollins. Some of you, some of you, some of you, not all of you. I know there's some jazz heads out there. I know there's some 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 obsessed music fans who are obsessed with all genres of music. But I also know there's a whole different contingent of Disgraceland listeners. So some of you might might be looking at Sonny Rollins, this name come up in your Disgraceland feed, and you're like, who the hell is that? Why do I care? Well, he's one of the greatest jazz musicians of all time. It's a fascinating story. I'm not going to burn the episode that we work so hard on here in the mini episode. So just trust me on that. Uh, also trust me that his crime, armed robbery, makes for compelling music and true crime story. It does. Uh, I want to talk about our perception or our misperceptions, specifically relative to the rock stars and jazz greats and like last week's subject, country stars like Merle Haggard, hip-hop stars we've covered, punk rock guys, gals, whatever. Just our misperceptions about the musicians we love, and I guess broadly speaking about music history and how that relates to true crime and transgressive behavior. Again, all the reasons we're here talking to each other, okay? So when I was a kid and obsessed with learning about music and people who made it, I was coming at music history or history in general, I guess, from an antiquated, frankly false, and overly convenient and popular point of view. This POV was 
Uh, I think prevalent for most kids my age, raised in the 80s, who became young adults in the 90s, educated in the 90s, that's at college, et cetera. And it was, in a nutshell, this. Uh, everything in America was fine. America was chugging along, all hunky-dory, uh, from the time of its inception up and until the mid-1960s, and that's when all hell broke loose and people started really freaking out. Now, you might hear that and say, what's false about that point of view? What's false about that statement? Well, most of it's true. America did have a freak out in the 1960s, and we've never been the same since. Some unholy combination of rock and roll and drugs and Vietnam and television turned America upside down. Men started growing their hair long. Women started burning their bras. Everyone started fucking in the streets high on dope. Again, all of this is true. It's an exaggeration, but it's not false. Sure, we can quibble over the word everyone that I just used in the, those those sentences. But the point is, again, everything in America was going along fine until the 1960s came. And then there was this freak out. We're getting fucked up, fucking who you wanted and doing whatever the fuck you wanted. Started taking precedence over living a straight life, getting married, having a job, being responsible, etc. I believe this culturally anyways, the inflection point culturally specific to music history. I believed all this was true up and until I became, I don't know, 30 years old something like that. By that time, the more I read about the time before the 1960s, the more I learned that nothing really changed in the 60s. People in the 50s, in the 40s, the 30s, definitely the 20s. Shit, going back to the Civil War, the Revolutionary War. I just watched this Ben Franklin documentary on PBS. People were fucked up, man. They've always been fucked up, okay? They've always been getting messed up and having sex. And making those two things a priority, uh, you know, drugs weren't anything new in the 1960s either. Grass, coke, heroin had been around forever. And the thing I think about that was different about the 1960s is that as a culture, we not only started admitting this out loud, we started promoting it culturally. Uh in, in, in the music of the day, and in, in the way people live, not only admitting it, but openly celebrating it, calling for it. And what happened after the 1960s was this perception that the 60s were this great, like I said, punctuating moment of our time and our culture where everything changed, where everything got fucked up, transgressive behavior, living out loud, all of that became, became what you were supposed to do as a young adult, as a young artist. It was all because of the 60s, man. Fuck that. Not true. Okay. How do we know? Well, there are many proof points for my theory that America and the world at large has always been depraved <laughs> and <laughs> morally loose, shall we say. Uh, and look, I'm not trying to be on a soapbox talking about like, I'm not, there's no judgment in what I'm saying. Okay. Like I'm not judging anyone for how they live, you know, have at it. All I'm saying is at some point in my early twenties, my dad handed me a copy of Nice and Easy by Frank Sinatra, that album. Great album. I think it's the first album, one of the first albums he did when he started his own label, Reprise Records. And <laughs> my dad said something like, Oh, this record, this is what this is what all these dudes were listening to in the in the late in the early sixties, you know, when they were getting fucked up and and having having, you know, you know, wild suburban orgies. What I looked at him like, Are you shitting me? None of that stuff happened then. He put the record on. You hear it, you can immediately hear it. You can, and then you start to learn about that time, and you just, you know, now, now I guess it's different because we've had like Mad Men, and we just live in this different type of culture where it's so loose and there's so much information. But for me, when I was younger, 
I didn't have access to all this information. We learned, I learned at a slower rate than I believe I, I'm definitely learning now. Um, so again, there are many proof points for this theory that America and the world at large has always been fucked up, depraved, morally loose, like I said. But we need to look no further than the jazz scene and this week's subject of Disgraceland, Sonny Rollins and all of his contemporaries for proof, for proof of this point. Growing up, listening to the Rolling Stones singing about loose honky-tonk women, Nirvana's Kurt Cobain singing all slack-jawed like the junkie that he was, the Beastie Boys and their early, wild, unhinged debauchery, listening to the Beatles and John Lennon's experimentation with everything new at the time, with the Ramones sniffing glue, whatever. Pick your, pick your example. I thought all this behavior and the subsequent punishments or or subsequent tragic results of this behavior, more specifically uh, the crimes, Keith Richards arrested for heroin trafficking, Kurt Cobain's suicide, John Lennon's deportation and assassination. I thought all of this was a post-60s phenomenon culturally, when in reality, that couldn't be further from the truth. Again, look to Sonny Rollins, this week's Disgraceland episode, and look to Sonny Rollins' jazz contemporaries, just people from the jazz genre. Sonny Rollins, arrested for heroin and armed robbery, uh, 1950 and 1953. Miles Davis, Billie Holiday, Bill Evans, Art Blakey, Charlie Parker, Chet Baker. You're like, who, 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 who? These are all jazz folks, great jazz musicians, some of the giants of the genre, Miles Davis, Billie Holiday especially. Um, you know, all of them were arrested for one thing or another and living in an underground, grimy, crimey lifestyle long before the 1960s and the fucking baby boomers came about. Any major dude will tell you that they've known this forever. But hey, there was a time when I didn't know this. Shit, even Louis Armstrong was arrested for smoking grass in 1930. I found that out 10 minutes ago. We have this mistaken perception that the 60s were the first transgressive decade for culture and that it spawned all this incredible art by these transgressive figures and artists. And it did, but it wasn't the first decade to do so. My point is, I guess, I guess my point is that rock and roll behavior is not exclusive to rock and rollers. It's not even exclusive to musicians, but that's another story entirely. For a taste of what I'm talking about, I really sincerely hope you check out tomorrow's episode on Sonny Rollins. I'm going to be back in a flash. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break. Hey, do you love bad movies? I'm talking about movies where Jason Statham saves the day or a lifetime thriller about a killer flight instructor or basically anything made in the 1980s that was set in the not too distant future. Now, if all of that seems up your alley, then you are going to love the podcast, How Did This Get Made? I've been listening to this podcast, it seems like for forever, and I keep going back to it because it is hysterical. Every episode, comedians Paul Shear, June Diane Raphael, and Jason Mansukis dissect the best, worst films ever made and their often bizarre production stories. Some of you guys are going to know Paul, June, and Jason, the host, from many of their appearances in films, animation, uh, television, on stage, these uh, improv, these guys, great, great, great comics. Uh, and they're just funny as hell. And these episodes are hysterical. They just did this episode on this cult action movie called Samurai Cop. All right, just that title alone tells you that it's going to be funny to digest. Where they, the star of this movie, of course, is a stuntman, goes to prison after filming because they stole a Rembrandt painting at gunpoint from a church, of course. The best part of this podcast is these guys watch these movies so that you don't have to. 
And sometimes even they're joined by hilarious guests, Seth Rogen, Conan O'Brien. Okay, I'm not the only one who thinks this show is hysterical. What are you waiting for? Go listen to How Did This Get Made, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Discos, it's Jake here. Thank you so much for listening to Disgraceland. Your support truly means a lot to me, and it's because of you that my team and I are able to make this show. If you want more Disgraceland, if you want more regular interactions with me and the community of Disgraceland listeners, or if you simply want to listen to the show ad-free, go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership, or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. For just five bucks a month, you can listen to every episode of Disgraceland ad-free. Plus, you'll get one brand new exclusive episode every month. You'll also get weekly unscripted bonus content, special audio collections, and early access to merch and events. There are two ways that you can support the show and become a member at disgracelandpod.com slash membership. You can sign up using Patreon and listen to the show ad-free on Apple, Spotify, and most other major podcast platforms. And Patreon members also get access to all the other perks of membership and an always-on chat where I'll be interacting with you and diving deeper into the world of Disgraceland. But maybe you're currently an Apple Podcast subscription listener and you want to just tap into all the bonus audio content and ad-free listening that we're offering. We're also offering this membership as a premium channel on Apple Podcasts. However you choose to join, all you got to do is go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Support the show for just $5 a month, five bucks, or sign up for an annual plan and get two months free. Come join me and your fellow discos at Disgraceland All Access by visiting disgracelandpod.com slash membership. So uh, I'm not the biggest Sonny Rollins fan. Not a, I don't dislike Sonny Rollins by any means, but I don't listen to his records uh, with any regularity. So... Um, and I didn't write this episode on Sonny Rollins. Zeth Lundy did. So I didn't have the uh, benefit of being dragged through his discography and getting turned on to all this new music, which normally happens when I cover artists that, I, that I'm not that familiar with. But I am a big jazz guy. I do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have a great record player. I, I have some great records. And I find that, you know, for the last few years, most of what I listen to on vinyl is just jazz. Uh Miles Davis, John Coltrane. I'm kind of a basic bitch when it comes to jazz is my point. Um, so if there are any jazz heads out there, right? I'm into the bebop guys doing standard stuff. That's kind of my lane. Um, I'm, in, I'm into the weird shit they do too, but my real lane is like weird guys doing normal stuff. John Coltrane's Ballads, probably my favorite album of... I don't want to say of all time, but it's top five. I think I listen to that record more than I listen to any other record or I have as an adult. Um, and it's John Coltrane's most basic bitch record. It's him doing like, you know, Cole Porter. Um, so for the jazz heads out there, just a quick diversion, and I'll get back into this bonus episode. But for the jazz heads out there, uh, give me a rundown of some stuff to listen to. Give me like, uh, don't give me the sunny stuff. I have that already in the episode. Give me like, I don't know, who who else? Who Who should I be getting at? I'm listening to to Mingus. I'm listening to uh, Art Blakey, who I mentioned before. Uh, you know, this, this, I don't go too, 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 too deep, right? Charlie Parker, 
you know, where, what's the great entry point for uh, some of the jazz guys that I hadn't just mentioned? Let me know, okay? 617-906-6638. You can let me know that way. You can leave a voicemail. You can send me a text. Um, you can hit me up at Disgraceland Pod, all right? Uh, and that's everywhere. Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, you know, all the places. Threads, X, whatever the fuck's next. Okay, we are next. We are back. We're right here. This week in Disgraceland subject history on July 29th, 1966, okay? July 29th, 1966. The Beatles. John Lennon famously quipped that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus now. And, well, I think you know what happened. All hell broke loose. Um, <laughs> this this story, uh, you know, I've been hearing this since I was a kid. Uh there's a more interesting part of the story, and that's the follow-up quote where where John tries to qualify what he meant about comparing his band to Jesus, uh, and he goes on to throw shade at Jesus' apostles, calling them, quote, thick and ordinary. I always love that. Thick and ordinary. Ouch. Paul might quibble with that quote. Jesus is Paul, not John's Paul, but I digress. Okay, also, uh, disgrace land subject history. On July 30th, in 2002, Bruce Springsteen released his album, The Rising, in response to the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center buildings. Um, I saw the boss. It was the second time I saw him. I saw I saw him on this tour for The Rising. I even I saw him a year or two before when he first, I think it was when he first got the E Street Band back together. But I saw him on The Rising tour. Um, and uh, I didn't, I, I loved the show. I didn't. I didn't love the album, The Rising, or the song at the time. But I saw him perform the song on that Howard Stern special that Springsteen did on HBO a couple months ago, and I am not kidding you guys. It it reduced me to a puddle. Just brought me to tears. Just so powerful. This performance. Just him and an acoustic guitar. It's uh. It's it's transportive. It just took me somewhere else. And it was like, and I think this happens with artists who write this material and they perform it for, for so, so long. Some of, for some of them, it becomes rote. It becomes uh, punching into a time clock for other great artists. And this is relevant to the jazz f- folks that we're talking about. For great artists like, like Springsteen and, and, and oftentimes they just find a song and they find a new place to go with it, a new, a new, a new gear that they can get to emotionally. And that's what happened with this performance. I highly recommend you check this out. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, there was a long-form Howard Stern interview of Bruce Springsteen uh, from a couple months ago that was aired on HBO as well. You can probably get it on HBO or on Max, or perhaps it's even on YouTube. I'm not sure, but I would check out the performance of The Rising. It is uh, next-level emotional. Um, also, uh, also on the calendar on July 31st, 1966, the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards ended their one month jail sentence. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards did time, you say, for a month, you ask? Why, yes, they did. And you can hear that story in our two-part story on the Rolling Stones. It's kind of funny to think now, right? Like Mick Jagger and Keith Richards were, were in jail for a month. That's, uh... That's kind of fucked up, and we cover it all. All right, on August 1st, 1986, Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead. I, this this, this is also very fucked. This is more fucked up than what I just read to you about the Stones. Again, August 1st, 1986, Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead was released from the hospital after a three-week coma. Three weeks in a coma. Damn. Can you imagine right now if, like, I mean, Jerry Garcia in 1986, I don't even think he was 50 at that point. Like some major touring artist, stadium filling artists in their 40s went into a coma for three weeks 
I mean, people would be freaked out. For They'd be freaked out for a day, and then no one would remember. He'd come out of the coma three weeks later and be like, what, you're not dead? <laughs> uh, on August 2nd, 1969, uh, guys, this shit, you know, I know these things, and I, I read them. <laughs> That's why I love this job so much, if I can even call it that. This this stuff just blows my mind. I love this shit. I, I know this stuff. I forget about it. And then I read these news items again, and I'm I'm just as shocked as I was when I first heard it. On August 2nd, 1969, Mr. Robert Zimmerman, a.k.a. Bob Dylan, showed up at his 10-year high school reunion. I'm going to say that one more time. On August 2nd, 1969, 1969, Dylan's huge. He's fucking Jesus at this point, all right? Robert Zimmerman, a.k.a. Bob Dylan, 1969, shows up at his 10-year high school reunion and no doubt shocked the shit out of his former classmates. Hi, uh, hi, Robert. Yeah, uh, Bill McGrady here. 59. We have PE together. I sell insurance now. How, how you doing, old friend? You got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend. Fuck, man. Imagine that Bob Dylan showing up at his high school reunion. <laughs> Which rock star, I gotta ask, you can pick any rock star from any time, do you want showing up at your high school reunion? 617-906-6638. Let's have fun with this one at Disgraceland Pod, okay? Um, all right, let's move on and let's do some emails. I want to respond to some emails here. All right, this one is from James Tramer writing in saying, hey, JT here from Hull in the UK. I always thought a Shake and Steve's biopic would be interesting. Shaken Stevens was Wales's answer to Elvis in the 80s, part of the UK 50s rock and roll revival. I see Ryan Reynolds is shaky and call it still shaky. <laughs> Love the shows. I don't know what the hell you're talking about, James Tramer. Never heard of Shaken Steve, Shaken Stevens, whatever it is. But now, now my interest is peaked. I will check this out. All right, another JT writes in, I was excited when you mentioned Thin Lizzy in the GNR episode. In your recent episode, you said the name multiple times and I almost fell out of my chair. I don't understand. There's this thing going on with Thin Lizzy and you guys that I do not understand. We're talking past each other. I'm getting a lot of shit from people on Disgraceland's uh, Instagram, <laughs> the DM side, the direct messages, for claiming that I don't like, there's a lot of people trying to convince me that Thin Lizzy is a good band. I know this. I am fully there for Thin Lizzy. I am a huge Thin Lizzy fan. I don't understand what I said, where I said it, when I said it, that gave you guys the impression that I do not like Thin Lizzy. I fucking love Thin Lizzy. So let's put this to, to bed. Almost, you know, I mentioned this less forcefully on one of the bonus episodes a couple of weeks ago, and now I feel like you guys are just fucking with me. Like you're just trolling me, like you're keeping up this gag. Uh, but no, no, I can play along if that's what you want to do, but just no. I love Phil Linett. I love Thin Lizzy. I always have. There's never been a doubt. Okay? Okay. Moving on. All right. Brad Thompson writes in, and this is a long one. So, Brad, don't hate me. I'm not going to get to all this. But Brad writes, hey there. Love the shows. Finally, I've caught up with the archive shows, and I'm up to date through New Order. Found the podcast when you had a sit-down uh, with the Bob Dylan album-by-album album podcast, and I'm now following both Disgraceland and Badlands. Excellent work all around. I don't remember that interview uh, Brad, but uh, 
Damn, man. Yeah, I should go check that out. All right, Brad goes on to say, number one, currently reading the Warren Zanes book on Springsteen's Nebraska. Bought it after hearing the interview you did with Warren Zanes. Phenomenal read. Have you read the Brian Hyatt stories behind the songs? A book that is Springsteen album by album. Another excellent read. I have, um, I did not read the entire thing page to page, but I used it as a a research reference for the Springsteen episode that I did. Uh, Let's see. Brad goes on. Number two, Husker Du idea. Why don't Minneapolis bands ever reach their full potential, for lack of a better phrase? Husker Du, Sugar, and then Bob Mould in general. Uh, this he goes on to talk about replacements, Soul Asylum. I think Soul Asylum kind of made it. They kind of hit their potential. Uh, is there an episode in there somewhere? I think there might be about the disappointment of Minneapolis bands, although Prince kind of blows up your argument. But, you know, I hear what you're saying. He's not exactly rock and roll. I mean, he is rock and roll, but not like the, the lane of rock and roll you're talking about with Husker doing the replacements. Number three, idea for future. I saw Henry Rollins spoken word about a year ago and he told a crazy story about a guy who broke into his house, which is basically a fortress. He also talks about the Black Flag days and all that went down with those early days. Potential. I get asked about Rollins now every week. I'm going to see Rollins, I think, in November. I'm very excited about it. And uh, I have this little dream in my head that I get to meet him, which shouldn't be too hard, I don't think. And uh, I tell him who I am. And he's, of course, not going to know who I am. But I tell him I want to do... I want to do his story, the Joe story in Disgraceland and see what he thinks. I don't know why, but it feels like I can't do that story without his permission. Um, so, uh, yeah, man, Brad, thanks for your email. Appreciate it. All right. So we have this uh, conversation going, guys, where I ask you guys, you know, we get to this kind of thing more in after party, but I'm answering emails here. That's my thing. So uh, this is an email that was brought up. I asked you guys to introduce yourselves, and I'm stoked that you're doing it. This is from uh, Anthony Washek. This is an email. It says, hey, Jake, name's Anthony. We actually texted before. At least you read one that I sent uh, from the 724 area code. You asked once for us to tell you about us, and whether you meant it or not, I thought, I might. Don't worry. It ties in. (laughs) Anthony goes on to say, I'm the one who recommended an Alice in Chains episode and also want to watch Sabrina the Teenage Witch as a wind-down show. And yeah, that's pretty much me. Nerdy white kid without a box who could fall down a rabbit hole or stumble into anything if it's interesting. I'm pretty sure I destroyed my Google and YouTube algorithms to the point that they don't know what to suggest that's coherent. <laughs> All right, Anthony. I love it, man. Thank you. Keep being weird. Um, let's see. Let's get into this other email here. From Jackie Lavac. I think I'm saying that right. Hey, Jake, just got around to listening to the bonus episode of Disgraceland, and I agree with everything you said about Husker Du. I was lucky enough and old enough to have seen a couple of their Minneapolis shows in the mid-'80s. They were intense and punk and yet different from the other punk bands coming up in the cities at the time, Suicide Commandos, The Replacements, for a few examples. Husker Du had a melodicism that really didn't exist in other punk bands, I agree. Not to mention how influential they were on the soon-to-come alternative scene, I also agree, actually helping to birth that scene. I agree there, too. Uh, She goes on to say, uh, I agree that their early production values were pretty terrible. Somehow I'm able to overlook it, Uh, but only because it's them. Hope you're able to turn a few whippersnappers onto this band. They're really great, and the music world is in their debt. Rockarola, Jackie from Minneapolis. And just like I'm trying to turn on the whippersnappers, as you call them, Jackie from Minneapolis, also trying to turn on the, uh, you know, the Gen Xers as well. And I got to say, I heard the new Fiddler signal single uh, a couple weeks ago, a couple days ago, I should say. Uh, their cover of <laughs> Limp Biscuits Nookie. And... Uh, I'm going to talk about it in the after party. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Let's, uh, going to put the lid here on the emails. Hit me up, disgracelandpod at gmail.com. I will answer here in the episode. It's going to take a quick break back in a flash.
All right, I'm back. I'm going to wrap this up. I was going to talk about Doja Cat pissing off all her fans, <laughs> but it's so fucking dumb. I, I'm just not going to do it. If, if, if you're interested in this, go for it. It's easy to find. Uh, not quite crime, not quite interesting enough for me, but I've got it here in my script, and uh, I'm just going to fucking bail on it, all right? going to wrap this mini episode up because it's about to be not so mini, and uh, i got to keep it tight, okay? Tight. Toy it like a tiger. Number one, get ready for Sonny Rollins hitting your feeds tomorrow in Disgraceland. Number two, I got questions. I'm looking for answers. All right, 617-906-6638. Jazz heads, hit me with some suggestions, okay? Uh, 617-906-6638 at Disgraceland pod as well. You can also let me know which famous rock star you want to show up at your high school reunion. Don't say Bob Dylan. Um, yeah, we'll be back answers on those questions and more next week also let me know your thoughts on the Sonny Rollins episode hope you dug it or anything else relevant to Disgraceland you know where to get in touch with me I say it all the time there's a number of voicemail text at Disgraceland pod alright one more time Sonny Rollins this week on Tuesday after party on Thursday we're back on Monday with another one of these advanced mini episodes to kick your week off and to land this plane I am going to read to you the billboard charts from February 13th, 1961. And if any of you get why I picked that date as the reference, please call and let me know. Uh, it's relevant to something that was mentioned on this very episode a couple minutes ago. Okay. Number one, Calcutta. Lawrence Welk in his orchestra. Last week, one. Peak position, one. Weeks on chart, 11. Number two, Shop Around, The Miracles, featuring Bill Smokey Robinson. Last week, three. Peak position, two. Weeks on chart, 11. Number three, will you love me tomorrow? Last week, two. Peak position, one. Weeks on chart, 14. Number four, pony shop around. Last week, nine. Peak position, last four. Weeks on chart, position, five. Number one, weeks on chart, 11. Number three, last week, last week. Quit talking and start mixing. Cut it.